welcome back to another episode of Still Not Asking For It, the Gina podcast. Today, as part of a series on abortion, I will be talking to Lucy and Alice from Back Off Spot Scotland to break taboos around this conversation topic and provide some insight into their work on abortion. As always, some of these themes may be potentially triggering, so please do reach out to Gina if you feel further support may be useful. So without further ado, could you both tell us a little about yourselves to our listeners, please? Yep, so my name is Lucy, and in 2020, I co-founded Back Off Scotland with Alice. Uh, It basically started um, as as, uh, when, when we were students right beside our university campus in Edinburgh, there were protests during COVID uh, outside uh, a local sexual health clinic and we couldn't believe it quite honestly it was you know the world um, was chaotic at that time and to have people there at the door of a clinic just felt completely abhorrent and also wrong so we thought we would start a local petition to see if we could get buffer zones, so uh, protest-free areas uh, where you wouldn't be allowed to, um, you know, have any sort of politicization um, regarding abortion. Um, depend, you know, either side that you're on, whether it's you know your your um, anti-choice or pro-choice, it's just to a, a place where the the you'd be able to access healthcare um, for abortion services without. Um, the fear of harassment and intimidation and uh, I think naively we thought that this was just going to be a very short campaign and it was going to you know pass in Edinburgh but uh, that that very soon became uh, apparent that it wasn't going to do that and we also started receiving stories from uh, women around Scotland all over Scotland that had been experiencing um, this sort of harassment and, and distress at the gates of these uh, facilities so we decided to expand it nationally. That's very impressive thank you what about you Alice? Yeah so I think as Lucy said you know we kind of started off very um, local um, and me and Lucy had known each other through um, some other um, reproductive rights kind of campaign in Edinburgh we didn't know each other very well at the time and again we thought you know it was going to be a small localized campaign Um, and I think one of the things that been so um kind of interesting about the campaign is it's definitely become you know not just about buffer zones which is obviously so important but we've been able to start up a platform where we can talk about abortion in Scotland on a wider scale um, I think in the early days we were really blown away by the amount of support we got especially online and um, we kind of grew a big Instagram page um within a few weeks and I think that's really important I think now with um you know a lot of digital campaigning it's it can be quite difficult um, to actually take it from offline to, you know, making policy changes. But yeah, we've definitely uh, managed to bring in a lot of other issues that I'm sure we can talk about um, in this podcast. But yeah, I think we're somewhere in between our campaign for buffer zones and then also being, you know, just a platform for wider mm-hmm. abortion care in a way, which is really nice. Um, and one thing that jumped out to me there was, for, for both of you, was that um, you both, have mentioned that it's been more difficult to pass than you originally anticipated. Why do you think that is? I think to start off, I think it's a few things. Obviously, there is, um, you know, issues with um, getting any legislation through um, the Scottish Parliament, which is kind of a whole other thing. But I think one thing, you know, to say from the offset is that I think for a lot of women's healthcare issues, you know, it's just 
so much harder to get people to take it seriously and to care about it. You know, I think with this issue, a lot of people just didn't see abortion as, you know, the same type of healthcare as they would place, um, you know, other essential services. Um, I think that, you know, through our campaign, we've definitely tried to bring that conversation into Scottish politics and to show that actually, do you know what, like, this is really important. Like, people are not accessing abortion care, sexual health services, you know, a lot of these clinics um, that protesters stand around aren't just used for abortion, they're used for many other purposes. And I think there was just a lot of complacency of not seeing that um, as important as other health conditions. So I think that's kind of a broad reason that sort of then trickles down into a lot of the other logistical reasons. Mm. Yeah, I think um, as well, initially this, there wasn't a precedent set set either like there were other campaigns going on for buffer zones in different parts of the UK and we saw some worldwide as well in in Australia for example and but the precedent wasn't set set which I think um, really made the government uh, reticent to be the first Mm -hmm. which in some ways you know we are sympathetic to that in other ways it really felt like we spent a lot of early years trying to break down these barriers and actually get the government on board so I think um, once the once the sort of tide started turning on that and once legislation started being passed in the UK, it became more about it, it became more of a question of when, not if, and um, how we could get that done quickly. But I mean, this is something we're still grappling with. So, you know, we're still up against barriers. Um, you know, we're, we're now the last uh, nation in the UK not to have buffer zones, even though I'd say, you know, we were probably one of the most uh, prominent fighters for it um, sort of throughout, throughout the, the past few years. Yeah, that's that's super interesting because, um, yeah, I've always, I've always known of back of Scotland. Um, and myself also study or I'm studying in Edinburgh, and I've I've often I've heard about you, and I've also walked past the the clinic on the way to the gym and things like that, and always seen the protesters and always thought, oh my god, imagine like it must be horrendous. Um, so very much like an issue that I can relate to on some level, I guess. Um, and on that whole legislation front, um. Obviously, recently, Nicola Sturgeon has announced she's stepping down. Um, And um, Kate Forbes is one of the potential new SNP leaders. And she's made some questionable comments about abortion. Are you worried about um, the progress of your campaign now that Nicola Sturgeon has announced she's stepping down? Also, because Nicola Sturgeon has personally come out and said she was going to support your campaign and hopefully make these buffer zones legal? I think, you know, it's important to remember that, so the bill that's um, being proposed just now is obviously a member's bill by Julie Mackay, the Green MSP. Um, and so kind of theoretically, it shouldn't make too much of a difference because, you know, it's a member's bill. You don't have to have necessarily the full support of um, the first minister. You know, parliament makes legislation and not a single first minister. However, it's, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of discourse over the past couple of weeks about whether um, you can be a leader and, you know, maybe not be fully supportive um, of abortion or other um, social justice issues. And I just think, you know, it, it makes such a difference. I think having Nicola Sturgeon um, be, you know, outwardly pro-choice, which is really should be kind of the bare minimum. It's not something that should necessarily be, you know, um, seen as this like incredible thing. At the same time, you know, not every country has that, you know, not every leader will come out 
and say, you know, I support uh, a woman's right to choose and also not just say that, but champion it. And Nicola Sturgeon did do that. Um, I think, you know, we've always been quite critical of the Scottish government. And I think that's fair enough. But one thing me and Lucy always did say was, you know, we were really impressed with the way that Nicola Sturgeon stood up for our campaign and said, you know, I 100% support this. And it's not about support, it's about getting it through and looking at um, the, the minor details. Um, you know, there was a BBC disclosure um, that was released last year, Nicola Sturgeon's book um, on her experience of experiencing a miscarriage um, and how, you know, she linked that to um, if she had come out of the clinic at the time and seen these protesters, you know, that would have been um, horrible for her. And I think just things like that, to have that approach as a leader where you can connect um, with the wider country and say, you know, I understand how that feels and and then to have um, Kate Forbes, I don't know, if, obviously, if you saw it um, recently, she was discussing how, you know, whilst she's not going to repeal any rights, um, she personally wouldn't get an abortion. And she's not really um, supportive necessarily of the overall idea. And it might seem like a small thing for people, but it's really not. It's not helpful. And I think it's really dangerous. I think it's a dangerous place to be in. And both Lucy and I really want to you know, past buffer zones, look at other um, areas in abortion care that needs um, some work done. And so we can't have, in my eyes, a first minister who actually doesn't really think that we should have abortion. And mm. um, it's just, you know, those two things for me are completely contradictory. So I think it is really worrying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, one thing that I kind of take solace in, and I know Alice does as well, is like we've been up against the government before. So if you have to revert back to that state, you know, we've had a very nice, you know, year of having the government very supportive. And um, ever since Nicola Sturgeon came personally on board, you know, it was like actually game changing because um, from that it was like resources were just really forthcoming. But even with that, you know, whilst um, we're personally very thankful to Nicola Sturgeon, like, you know, this is been a problem for decades uh, it's not a new problem uh, yes we might be seeing a, a sort of uptick in it but we also it might be because um, it's, it's largely been an unseen problem before and thing something that people haven't spoken about really um you know it, it, like, for example one in three women get an abortion before I started this campaign I had no idea the numbers were that high uh there's a you know it's it's a this isn't a uh, obscure medical treatment it's actually an everyday gynecological uh, outpatient procedure um, and and with that I think as well um, that's why it's so shocking the other sort of bits of abortion policy in Scotland that we've exposed so for example like women if they are um, over 20 weeks but under 24 weeks which is the legal limit in Scotland uh, there's nobody that can provide that here in Scotland they'd have to travel to England and I think when you look at stuff like that you're like how on earth can this be happening this is something that has and will continue to affect a third of the female population uh, so that's huge numbers so I think um, that's something that um, is is frustrating but like like I said we'll continue to to fight for it and um, I, I believe you know from what we've done so far I, I believe that um, although it, mu it might not be um, the best case scenario of Kate Forbes come first minister I don't think that um, she will be too big of a stumbling block for our personal campaign. No I mean that's really good to hear um, regarding the campaign that um 
got to say, I was not aware that it was one third of women um, who yeah. have or, you know, will access an abortion in their life. That's that's yeah, that's that's insane. But also, you know, very validating of the argument that it needs to be, you know, a healthcare. It needs to be seen as a as, as a healthcare op- operation, I guess, like a yeah operation. Um, and within that, I think it's then really interesting Um because I know in the US and I spoke to um, someone who's very involved in the abortion movement in Ireland a few weeks ago, and she was talking about how um, she has not always been pro-choice, um, given the upbringing she had, etc. And I think it's really interesting to ask whether you have seen a lot of support between women, because I think sometimes actually even between women, there's a certain amount of shame or people not um, coming forward to say, you know, I've had an abortion and this is OK and all of this. Um, and I and I I wonder what you guys would say to that, especially given that back of Scotland, I from what I'm from what. I know I think has had a fair amount of support with it from the student community in Edinburgh like have you had difficulties with other women maybe not supporting the issue because of their political religious views I honestly don't think so and I attribute that to very early on in the campaign within its first weeks Alice telling her personal experience of getting an abortion whilst at university and having to face protesters Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people really resonated with and a lot of we heard a lot of similar stories in the weeks following that and I think actually having somebody publicly speak about an experience like that like for me I don't know if I could have spoken about an experience like I have not had an abortion but I don't know if I could have spoken about it in the way that Alice did and continues to um and I think a lot of people can kind of see the the real sort of raw um the rawness of that and also the um I, I think what Alice did was very courageous like putting her story out there and being happy with her sharing it um so sorry to embarrass you <laughs> but I, I I really attribute the success um early on and the um support from the local community to um, Alice's position at sort of front and center in the media I think because generally with the campaign we've always tried to base it around um like the lived experience of people who have access um, services and experience harassment I think it like Lucy says I think it's helped shape a campaign but I think it's really interesting you know what you were saying earlier about not knowing that it was one in three um, people who've you know had an abortion in their life and I think that's the same reaction for a lot of people and I think obviously it just comes back to the fact that it's because it's not spoken about so I know that after I shared my story um, and was quite open about it a lot of my friends or people you know close to me were like oh then they would talk to me about how they'd had an abortion and I was like oh well I didn't know that about you but they also didn't know that about me because it's not something necessarily people go around and talk about and I think partially because of you know there's still a stigma and and maybe also people don't want to make people feel uncomfortable um and so I think that when people who maybe are anti-abortion or not necessarily anti-abortion I think what you spoke about before um about some people who are maybe now pro-choice who before it wasn't like they were going out there protesting against abortion but they maybe just thought oh that makes me feel uncomfortable I don't really know where I stand on that issue and I think it is because sometimes they see it as like an extreme rarity and like this crazy like process or you know and obviously a lot of that's attributed to um anti-abortion misinformation about you know every single abortion is this and it's like 
horrific photos of fetuses that are, you know, quite inaccurate. Um, and so I think the more that people share these stories and talk about it, and actually you can put a face to it and say, well, when I think of abortion, I think of like my friend or someone that I know, um, and you realise how normal it is, I think that really helps change the conversation. Because I think as long as people know that someone that they know has had an abortion, I think that then really changes their view on it. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it's hard for us to know who a lot of our opposition is, I guess, like you were talking about whether women are against it. But one thing I do see a lot of on Facebook when I go through our comments every so often is sometimes a lot of, and it happens to be men, although I'll maybe it'll be a, you know, a video of me sharing my story and they'll say something like, I'm not like, I, I'm against abortion or I don't agree with abortion, but at the same time, like no young woman should have to go through this. So I think you get it on both sides. Like I think you get people who, um, you know, you'd I hope would be supportive, like women, and maybe aren't because of political beliefs. But then I think we've also managed to speak to a group of people who maybe predominantly were not necessarily for abortion, but actually they can recognise that, you know, uh, young women trying to access a service and being harassed is just wrong on any level. And I think, you know, that's also a really positive part of the campaign is then persuading both groups. But yeah, it's definitely been um, interesting to see kind of where we gave support it's not always where you think yeah no I mean that's really nice to hear to be honest that um women are so supportive of the campaign um because I don't know I I guess I I I had an idea of that I guess from when when you read about the abortion bits in the U.S. you often see you know women also being anti um pro-choice um and Alice thank you so much um for expanding on that a little bit about um you know um you coming forward about your own personal experience it, as as um Lucy said it's incredibly brave that you have you know been so public about your experience so thank you um and how how did you find that um experience of coming forward and having lots of people come forward to t- talk to you about your personal experience and saying look I've also had a similar experience because I can imagine as much as that may be in, in a way empowering or feeling like ah oh, I'm not alone in this I can imagine it may also be emotionally, mentally a lot to deal with. Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing that I always try to touch on with the campaign is that everyone is different when it comes to having an abortion. There's no kind of one universal experience. I think it's been quite good. I think in recent years, not just for our campaign, but even before that, there's been a lot more um, conversation about what the reaction should be and whether it's uh, you know how we should talk about abortion in public um, and I think it just comes back to the fact that everyone is different I mean for me it wasn't um, an upset experience to get an abortion but what was upsetting was the protesters and so I think that made it easier for me to talk about out loud because I didn't attach um, kind of any trauma or negative emotion to the experience of the actual medical procedure it was all about the protesters outside um, I think that it's hard for anyone to talk about abortion in public because everyone has come with their own um, assumptions and kind of then projects that onto you. And I've definitely experienced that a little bit with um, some reporters um, and journalists, the odd one who maybe they kind of already have their idea of how they want you to be or like what reaction they want. Um, But at the same time, I think personally for me, because I just believe in this campaign and this legislation so much, I've not found it that draining speaking about it because I just know like to the root of my core that this is right like we need protection from these protesters what they're doing is wrong and also that abortion 
is like right and it's a legal right and we should have it and I think when you have those things in your head like it doesn't I'm not ever worried about backlash because the backlash I would be getting would be from people who I completely disrespect their opinion like with all due respect like I don't have I think you know we can have a conversation and we can sit and talk about things and it's all about balance but at the same time like the people outside these clinics whether or not they think they're intimidating women they all believe in the same thing which is that women should have to carry out unwanted pregnancies you know I don't value that opinion I think it's absolutely abhorrent so whilst yeah it can be draining and you know um talking about any personal experience for anyone is a little bit draining having to recount it because I believe in this cause so much it's you know not and also I think because I've got a team behind me you know we have like obviously Lucy's always been super supportive and the wider back off team but also all the um journalists um and campaign supporters who we meet constantly who are like so glad that we're doing this and I think every so often if we go to an event or um somewhere where we get to speak to like wider members of the community in Scotland you'll have a conversation with um you know someone totally random will come up to you and say oh thank you so much for doing this like I experienced anti-choice harassment or my daughter did or whatever story and I think just tiny moments like that you're like this is so worth it Mm -hmm. and I'm so glad that then I can speak on behalf of these people to like put an end to this yeah no um I can understand that and I can imagine it must be yeah as I said incredibly empowering to see that you're you sharing your story is helping so many other people and helping other people relate to the campaign and help drive the campaign to the the successful phenomenon that it has been um and one other thing that um I remember seeing it in the news a few months ago and thinking this is crazy um is that a US group 40 days for life um are going to campaign against the buffer law buffer zone law being passed in Scotland um how did that feel um having international opposition to your campaign um it just seems so insane to me <laughs> yeah I think this has been something that's it's it's been quite a, a bizarre one to navigate because we are university students we're two young women in our 20s and we are receiving so much commentary from these far-right groups, mm-hmm. both in the UK and then also in the US, um, about our campaign um, and what we're aiming for. So I think, for example, for me, um, the Scotsman had run a story where they'd spoken to the CEO of 40 Days for Life, so this US group, and he had said, you know, we're coming over a strategic time. We're going to legally challenge it. And that was so, so bizarre that this man sitting in uh, Texas with his, like, it, I mean, it's just so someone also I, I can't remember who it was, but somebody also then did like a deep dive into, you know, um, the finances of 40 Days for Life. And, you know, their their lawyers had been paid like six figures and. Um, you know, there was a lot of money behind this. And I think that to me was actually like so crazy just to to think that actually this is what people are doing for a living. Like yeah. these are what these old men have really dedicated their life to doing. And um, I think, you know, when you hear stuff like that, it emboldens the, the on-street protesters, you know, they're these people that are trying to provide, um, you know, roadside 
counseling they believe uh it's funny how as soon as as um you know you kind of debunk the idea that they're providing support and you say it's harassment how quickly they revert into sort of like oh this is my freedom of speech and like we will sue you and you know they get like bankrolled like there was one in england um, the other day um where where a woman was arrested but she'd like she, she for silent praying but she continuously gone into the buffer zone with a camera crew and was really up like stuff like that is mad but actually when you look and you see that it's tactics uh that have been used across the US and have been sort of um influential in the the falling of Roe v Wade and and all the other sort of bills we're seeing pop up over the US I mean I think it was South Carolina somebody was proposing uh, you know execution for for abortion stuff like that you know that is where these people are coming from so I just think there's no ends to how extreme they're going to get and I think there's it's it's um you know I'm not concerned about legal challenge because I think there will be a legal challenge I'm more concerned about what it says for uh, society as a whole that this is actually what um, these old men are spending their life doing when they could really be putting their their resources and their money into something uh, much better and even beyond that into actually providing um, you know better education better um, access to healthcare services especially in the US etc so um, yeah definitely uh, a very bizarre one and something that Alice and I I think are can't really believe when we see the headlines like that and we see people talking directly about Scottish buffer zone law but uh, at the same time like if if you don't laugh about it, you'll cry <laughs> and I think we just have to be pragmatic when it comes to um dealing with um sort of legal threats and also people have tried to say that they'll sue us before and it's like well do it like we're, we're in our twenties. Like, you can take like the 200 quid out our bank account like you know you, nothing you know you're not gonna it's not gonna be the downfall of us and I think actually that's maybe been a strength in that we are, aren't associated to a bigger organization so we're doing this completely voluntary so actually um the stakes for us aren't high like they would be for these um organizations that are now not going to be able to um, do what they do in the whole of the uk hopefully within the next year so uh, the stakes are higher for them than they are for us definitely i think that's such a good point lucy about um like investing in education and better in healthcare services like i think it speaks to what these people are actually against again it's like if you, you know, there are ways that you can get abortion done. Like abortion is not a bad thing, but at the same time, like it would be nice, um, you know, if people felt like they didn't have to or people weren't put in those situations. And there are ways to improve um, and decrease abortion rates. And these people aren't concerned about that. You know, it's about power. I think um, in terms of the legal challenge, like that's not necessarily the worry in the sense that, you know, if someone wants to uh, legally challenge something that's been put through by parliament, like it, should be their right and that is actually fine I think what's then concerned you know we, we want to make sure that this it doesn't go against convention rights fine but I think what is concerned about it is the amount of money and power these people have you know so it's there is an imbalance there it's not necessarily about equal parties challenging legislation it's about this huge organization that you know will throw money at things and try to influence policy like in the state um I think what we worry about more especially is that when this legislation does come through is 
um, you know, how they'll use money and power to get around it. So, for example, um, you know, if it's a fine um, punishment, that's not an issue for them. Like, a lot of people have funds where they'll say to protesters, you know, if you get into any legal challenge, we'll help you. So, you know, I think that's what's really scary. It's not necessarily like a Supreme Court challenge, which you can kind of control a little bit more because then it's the Supreme Court that's kind of um, obviously monitoring that. It's what the ways that they're getting around um, the law using money and power. And yeah, I think just knowing that it comes from the same place uh, where, you know, Roe v. Wade has actually been overturned, like that's really, really scary to think that that's the influence that's coming across here. Um, no, I, I agree. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. But I also think it's really impressive how the two of you in back of Scotland have managed, you know, it very much sounds like you, you guys have got your head screwed on and like you're very much staying calm about it and being pragmatic. And as you said, like laughing, not crying about it, because otherwise I think you would get <laughs> depressed. Um, yeah. And um, one thing you mentioned earlier is that, um, once hopefully this legislation is passed in Scottish Parliament, you have other plans regarding abortion for Back of Scotland. Could you maybe expand a little bit more on this? Yeah, so I think we it's I think it's kind of been a three pronged approach to it in Scotland. So um, obviously you have our uh, buffer zones, which I think settled in the way of um, it's coming. Um, it's taken a long time, but it is actually coming and we're going to have a bill and it's going to be passed. We have a support for it in Parliament. I think next up is the um, we're trying to um, sort of lobby the government into changing the infrastructure that they have around providing abortion services. So this is, um, like I say, we don't think anybody should be travelling to, to England. And certainly um, when we have uh, brought you know, the government's attention, they were very much like, oh, well, it's only a few women. But as soon as Nicola Sturgeon got involved, she was like, we have so much to change, so much to do. So I hope that can be continued. Um, and I mean, we've we like had no issue talking to um, the press and advocating for these women um, sort of publicly about um, experiences they've had. And some of them are, are horrific, you know, people having to um, finding out they're pregnant and the next day, having to be on a flight to London and um, go for an abortion, have no support. They have no money. They have to, you know, bought, we've heard they had to borrow money from you know, their dad and not tell their dad what it's for. And then their dad couldn't pay rent, like stuff like that. That's really, um, it's, it's really traumatizing. Um, and it's, it's stuff that shouldn't be going on. So we've been trying to advocate for that. Um, and we've been working with the government, but also um, sort of trying to shape the narrative a little bit with um, the Scotland abortion provider network. Uh, so we we recently went to their conference and uh, they were saying that they're trying to sort of improve it. And we're also working with BPAS, who's the largest provider um, in England and Wales, and is also um, provides all of the services for women that have to travel from Scotland. So we're trying to work with them for a, something that will give um, sort of longevity. So we don't, for example, have um, there's only a few people trained up, like literally less than a handful of people trained in Scotland to provide surgical abortions um that can't be right and i think that needs changed and needs a drastic overhaul in addition to that i think um arguably one of the worst elements is you don't have a choice when you go to get an abortion if you want a surgical or a medical so for example we hear from women that have to terminate their pregnancies quite late on because of a, a fatal fetal anomaly mm -hmm. and they have to essentially go into labor and give birth to a fetus um which is very traumatizing i spoke to somebody that had been in labor for five days in a labor ward pushing out 
you know, a, a, a baby that wasn't viable, essentially. So that was really um, difficult and that needs to change. So we're advocating for that. And I think that's, um, you know, we've got things in the pipeline and um, that's that's something that's kind of we're we're um, we're, we're on our way to doing that. Further to that, um, I think a lot of people are not aware that abortion is not a right in the UK. So um, unless you have if you do not have abortion within the specific terms set out, um, in the Abortion Act, or I think the Scotland um, Act, it's like 2014, uh, there was a, a um, when when it was devolved, abortion was devolved, I believe, in 2014. They um, essentially, if you don't have your abortion within the strict criteria, then you can face up to life in prison. And there's actually cases in um, the in I believe it's Oxford just now um Oxford and somewhere else in England where women are on trial for having an abortion out with the um out with these conditions so for example they had um ordered pills online or they'd taken a pill um you know after they were supposed to which um it can't be right that under a law that was made in the 1800s women are being allowed to go to trial and really run the risk of being imprisoned for life uh, so I think taking the taking abortion out with the criminal justice system um it just ha- it's just the natural next step it has to be done it needs to become um, a right in its in and of itself um and it needs you know more stringent protections um the the law that was passed the abortion act in 67 i mean it it's not fit for modern day it needs change it needs amended um and i think that's the natural next step um we've kind of started i guess um calling for that particularly with the new um first ministerial candidates um we've written to them and you know uh, two of them so hamza for example came back to us and said that if he was um elected he will bring forward proposals for decriminalization of abortion um in for within this parliamentary term so stuff like that i think that's excellent i think um if we get that that's going to be a really big push forward um for abortion rights in scotland but those are i'd say our main um our main thing so improving access um, but also enshrining better rights but I think for us um, improving access um, comes first whereas the change of abortion law is a bit more symbolic because there's actually not been um, a woman prosecuted in, in, in decades in Scotland. The only other thing I would add uh, which well no it is still is making sure that the buffer zone legislation that does go through a safe access zone legislation does go through is um, you know fit for purpose and that we're reviewing it and making sure that it works I think you know with um this type of legislation I feel like it could be quite easy for it in theory to work and in practice you know protesters find ways to get around it or it's not been enforced everywhere um you know and so I think making sure that we're still um like keeping check of that and reviewing this legislation um but yeah apart from that I think Lucy's covered it all very well um, and then finally, um, what would your advice be to young women who have been intimidated by anti-abortion protesters outside clinics or are thinking about getting an abortion um, and are worried about the protesters? So I think, first of all, um, for people who've experienced it, because I think obviously it's slightly two different groups, um, 
I think one thing that I find really frustrating I see a lot um, online with our opposition and generally it does come from men from my opinion um, is people saying you know oh that's not intimidation or you know you shouldn't be intimidated by that they're just you know praying or you know kind of really invalidating experiences of people who've um, experienced this and saying that you know um, you can just walk past them and get over it and I think it's really important for if you have experienced that not to listen to that and to try and ignore it and to know that you know it is really scary I think and I'm not necessarily someone that would be intimidated by a group of people however it's in a completely different context um of going into um you know have an abortion which for many people is obviously going to be difficult um and then to have like your privacy invaded and to have I think even just on a base level to have your choices questioned I think is quite a, a grim um experience I think that's one of the things that I found it wasn't about intimidation in the sense of I was scared I was going to be like attacked you know or like I was scared they were going to hit me like that's not necessarily what we're talking about what we're talking about is going in to make a decision that you've really thought through and then to have to outside like saying on a sign that you're a murderer or showing you um you know a leaflet that's got misinformation on it like I think that is so intimidating and so scary and really harmful and I think that having people who haven't been to experience online um, and sometimes in person you know try and invalidate that experience um can really inhibit people from speaking out so I think that on a base level I would say like do not listen to that and know that your experience is valid because actually like we found through our campaign this is a shared experience like we have collected you know loads of testimonies from people who have been impacted by this and so I think it can feel really isolating um but you know obviously as well through reading our testimonies I hope that gives some comfort to people that this actually does affect a range of people um and then for anyone who wanted to you know is going to get an abortion I think that's one thing that I find really hard with um throughout our campaign is we often get messages or people speak to us and you know ask us whether um are the protesters outside this clinic at the moment because I think they often think that we have like complete tabs on where protesters are every single time and like we sometimes do but you know we're not going to know all the time and they're asking because they they won't go like they maybe have even an STI checkup um booked into that clinic but they won't go there if there's protesters outside because they aren't willing to walk past because it would just be like far too traumatizing or anxiety inducing so I think that's really really difficult to know that mm-hmm. and I think it's hard as well to give good advice because if that is some you know if someone really doesn't want to walk past these protesters it's hard to just be like just do it anyway it's fine um I guess at the moment until um legislation comes through that can you know safeguard from this it would be to um contact clinics and let it be known to um staff that that is your situation you know if you have a real worry about um getting an abortion and seeing protesters then that needs to be part of your care and one thing that from my experience of having an abortion was that this the care that I got and I can only speak on my experience was really really good especially the kind of um more emotional and uh, advisory side of things and so yeah I mean we don't want um, anyone to be scared of going to a clinic on the basis that they think protesters are going to be there um unfortunately like that is the situation a lot of the time um but I think as well making that clear like when you book an appointment um because NHS staff are still best placed as well to guide on that no, I think that's really good advice. So um, thank you very much. And then finally on this podcast, um, we like to end the episode 
with um, some more informal, casual questions, not least because sometimes the topics we discuss are heavy, but also because we're really keen for our guests to be portrayed just as normal human beings as well, because I guess sometimes the work that all these guests are doing is very impressive. Um, and sometimes I think it's it can be almost intimidating. So um, asking these normal things in inverted speech marks is um, actually, I think, quite a good exercise. Um, so my first thing is sort of Edinburgh themed, um, maybe for selfish reasons, but um, what's your favorite thing to do in Edinburgh? I really <laughs> like going out for coffee and in the day and I just really like going to a bar in the evening I think Edinburgh is so good for that I just love I don't even know what it is just like sitting there and just people watching and it's such a nice city like you can really sort of like bask in the city I find um yeah I'd say that's probably mine and do I have any specific favorites um I really like Kilimanjaro coffee on Nicholson Street the um the booths in there they're just like like two people and they're just they really just you know they really hit the spot for all the times I was <laughs> in uni um I don't get enough I don't get to enough sadly in my master's but um and I'd say my favorite bar is probably um I really like um pickles on Broughton Street like that is just such a nice place um and yeah I'd say they're probably my two favorite things to do and my two favorite places to do them well, I haven't been to that bar. I, I will go when I'm back. Um, yeah. Oh, it's so nice. It's like a wee wine bar. <laughs> so nice. And you I get cheese. Like, they do like cheese platters. So it's like, I think, I don't know the deal. I'm really promoting them now. We're not, we don't know. No, I think it's like 25 or 30 pounds and you get a cheese board and then a bottle of like the house wine. And it yes. honestly is such a good deal. Love it. Um, I'm going to be really bored and also say eating. I think that like I live in Glasgow now and it's really good restaurants. Like I'm not, um no downside to Glasgow but it's the one thing I definitely besides the scenery and like artistry the one thing I really really miss for Edinburgh is like I just think the food's like a bit of a cut above Glasgow and so many good independent restaurants like I just ate my way through it my favorite is there's a cafe in Marchmont called Pomelo but they do it's like an Asian cafe um and they do dinners on Fridays and Saturdays it's like tiny it sits like 10 people and it's bring your own bottle and oh the food is so good like if you've not been you need to go I tell everyone like all my friends are bored of hearing about it anyway I found this like last year and it's super affordable and I think I went like every weekend I went for months like they know me in there it's really really embarrassing like I get and I bring everyone like I bring all my friends like different people each time just so I can go and it's so embarrassing like every time I go in they're like lovely to see you again like <laughs> but it's so good I've been trying to find like a Glasgow version of it and I've just not found it and I think it's because it doesn't exist and I just think the food in Edinburgh and I think it's the same with Lucy it's like I think eating in Edinburgh is so such a nice experience like it's always like you you're outside a window and you can see like the sea or artist seat or like something ridiculous um yeah definitely my favorite thing to do and also bodega down the do good tacos so I'm gonna shout out them <laughs> no the food in Edinburgh is so good I miss it a lot um and then finally um do you guys have uh any bucket list destinations or what's number one on your bucket list um so I spent quite a lot of time in India when I oh my god I'm gonna say it was on my gap year <laughs> 
<laughs> but, <laughs> but I and I, I thought it was great. I really loved it. It was it was so great. But um, I really want to take my boyfriend there. Yeah. Um, because I think it would actually just be chaos, and I think we'd have so much fun. So I I want to. I I guess it's a um a bucket list destination for me because I want to like experience it differently and not just like, you know, on a shoestring and, um, you know, taking the, the, um, the, the lowest class of train and, um, you know, falling ill every week. But yeah, I think I'd like to do it a little bit more, um, luxury and yeah, be able to spend more like experiences as well. Like I had a lot of cool experiences, but it would be really nice to be able to do like a bit more of like the tour stuff that, um, where I'm not sort of, on a one pound budget a day really uh, so yeah that would be mine I think I think oh, I'm trying to, this is it's not that far away there's loads of places first of all everywhere like I want to go everywhere but one like I've never really been around the Scottish Highlands which is really bad because I am actually Scottish and I've been to the odd place um but this, cause I don't drive so I think it's quite difficult to actually really travel freely around the Highlands if you don't have a car. I'm going to assume I'm, I'm, there might, I might be wrong. Um, it's really on my bucket list and it's really shameful that it's my bucket list destination because like I said, I live in Scotland. But I do think sometimes being from a place, like you're a bit um, ignorant to the places that are right on your doorstep that are actually really beautiful. And I often see like photos of beaches on Scottish islands or in the Highlands, and I'm like, that looks incredible. Like that looks like Barbados, and I've not been there. Um, so that's big on my list. I think when I eventually learn to drive, <laughs> that'll be where I go. No, I agree. I think Scotland is actually one of the most underrated countries there is, and I also feel like I need to explore more of it. And I feel like I haven't made the most of my um. Well, it's been two years, but I've got another year coming up in, in Edinburgh to explore more of Scotland. But I, I don't know, sometimes the time just gets so busy and you don't really have time to go hiking around the Scottish Highlands, I guess. Um, but thank you so much for your time, the two of you, and your answers, your honesty. Um, it's It's been really insightful. And um, congratulations on how well the campaign is going. Like, it's 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 super, super impressive, especially as, as students and I think there'll be a lot of young women and individuals out there super grateful when that buffer zone law does pass because um it is it is a really important issue and it and it is a problem. So um thank you. Thank Thanks you so, so much, much for speaking to us. It's been great.